Um, it is so good to be with you guys this evening. I just want to say, uh, we serve an awesome God who, as Dan said, loves our worship. And I just believe that the Lord's presence is really here in a very powerful way. So um, if you're needing anything from the Lord, if you need him to, to touch your life and to intervene in your life in a particular way, you know you don't have to wait for me to magically say something or pray a prayer for you or ask you to raise your hand for that specific thing. Uh, you're able to be healed just by being in the presence of the Lord. You're able to have breakthrough just by being in the presence of the Lord. You've chosen to come near tonight. You've chosen to pursue Him. You're not pursuing me or Shine Church. You're here because you're wanting to draw near to Jesus, and He sees that. So whatever it is that you're needing, or if you're just saying, God, I just show me what you're wanting, Lord. Show me what, what aspect of my worship, what aspect of my life you're asking me to, to bring as an offering. Just know you've got His attention, and He's hearing you and His eyes on you, and He loves you. And uh, so, yeah, don't, don't, he's bigger than, than we give him credit for. And know that he is able to move, whether it be during the announcements or as you're getting up and going to the bathroom or during the message or on your drive home. Uh, but he loves you and he wants to make himself real in your life. And so we're so glad. Glad that you're here and that you're a part of that. Uh, <clears throat> guys, how many shopping days left till Christmas? Anybody know? Okay, good. I, you know, it's a, basically a two-digit, you know, <laughs> I hope it wouldn't take too long. <laughs> Although for me, you never know. Dan's like, no, don't let DJ calculate that. Notice they did not put me in charge of the year-end giving uh, opportunity because I'm like, uh, two plus 20? No. Yes, 23 days left. And uh, this is the first weekend of our uh, new series. We've done something very, very clever here. We've been in a year-long theme called Come With Me. Right? where Jesus is calling us to engage and listen and look at him and, and obviously walk in obedience and respond to him. But we've done something very, very clever. We've added two very powerful words. Come with me to Bethlehem. See what we did there? We created a Christmas series. Yeah, all right. So welcome to weekend one of our Christmas series. And uh, we're going to be looking at a couple different characters within the Christmas story that we actually really do believe uh, are examples of coming with Jesus, of responding to God's call and honoring the Lord. And so I'm super excited to jump into that uh, today and obviously for the, for the teachings that lie ahead, just from what little I know, I'm already excited uh, to hear what God's gonna speak with those. But, uh, you know, our family, something interesting happened uh, this weekend uh, or, it, well, in the last uh, couple of weeks, and that is we found out something unexpected. We found out that we're gonna be hosting Christmas again this year. And we, we thought we had come up with this, you know, ironclad idea as we talked it over and we brought out the, you know, the computer screens and the, and the whiteboards and the, the war room, and we're like, all of our kids are married. They all have other you know, in-laws, or, you know, and we thought it was great. We're going we're gonna to go to an every other year. So one year we'll host Thanksgiving. Follow me here. 
let me know if we need a whiteboard, but you know, one year we're going to host Thanksgiving, the next year we're going to host Christmas, or in this case, you know, Christmas Eve is kind of our big thing, and then that way, you know, they, they don't have to rush, and they can go to other, uh, to the other ones and on the opposite year and all that, and it seemed to be going well. The plan seemed to be going well. There were texts going forth. There was communication. We're like, okay, all of our kids are coming back for Thanksgiving. Until one of my kids, whose name I'm not going to mention, Zach, (coughs) (laughs) like Texas like a week before Thanksgiving, like, what? We're supposed to come back to Colorado for Thanksgiving? I never heard anything about that. Sorry. I love you, Zach, if you're watching. So we found out, you know, long story short, it went back to the war room, back to the whiteboard. You know, the, the, the markers came out, the planning went back to the X's and O's, and so we're hosting Christmas again this year, and it's kind of, you know, my wife, of course, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome. We love being with our kids and grandkids and all that, but in a tiny way, it could be considered just a little bit of like a, an unexpected responsibility, you know, an unexpected, any, anybody that kind of hosting and knows about food and just having people and company and guests staying with you and, and all that jazz, would it be safe to say in some small way it's like an unexpected burden? Maybe just a little bit. Okay, I say that in the most generous and, and excited of ways. I believe that God wants to speak to us about carrying loads that we weren't expecting. And maybe, you know, I've used an example that's obviously lighthearted and, and we love it and it's actually a really great thing. No, no hiding that. But sometimes we're asked to carry a load in life that we weren't expecting and that we didn't see coming. And it's not something like hosting Christmas. It's like sometimes we have a diagnosis of a sickness and there's chemotherapy in our future, radiation, and we didn't see that coming. And we're like, wow, where did that come from? I didn't sign up for that. I didn't want that. Maybe we're in a relationship and all of a sudden before we know it, it's on the rocks and we're discussing parenting plans for the kids and where are they going to be with you every other weekend and on Wednesdays and through Fridays I have them and then and we're like what in the world I'm having to have meetings I'm having to have conversations I'm having to make decisions I'm having to pray prayers I'm having to do stuff I had no idea was in my future I didn't want this I didn't sign up for it why am I having to carry this burden and why am I having to carry this load And if that's you in any way, I don't know what your burden is. It could be adult children that are estranged and that are saying nasty things. about It could be all kinds of things. But if that's you, I believe that God wants to speak to you. And I believe that he wants to do that by having us look at the life of Joseph. I believe that Joseph is an example of someone who could relate to you. As someone who found himself called in to carry a burden that he wasn't expecting. And, and that he wasn't, that he didn't necessarily sign up for. And you know what I believe that we find in his life as we look at him, there's not much written about him, to be honest. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1. There's a few other scriptures about him, but a lot of it's right there in one chapter. We're going to find out that he was tested in big ways, but that somehow he was able to carry the burden that God had placed on him in a way that brought honor to God in a way that facilitated God's purposes on earth. And I think if you're here and you're asking that same thing, like, God, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why I'm carrying it. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But God, somehow I want you to be honored through it. I believe that God wants to speak to you and open all of our eyes together as we look at the life of Joseph. So let's go ahead and do that. I'm gonna read uh, in Matthew chapter one, verses 18 through 21. And I'm reading in the Berean uh, study Bible, or uh, Berean something, sorry. Is it study or revise? I don't know, some version of the Berean. Anyway, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. 
His mother Mary was pledged in marriage to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and was unwilling to disgrace her publicly, he resolved to divorce her quietly. But after he had pondered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to embrace Mary as your wife, for the one conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, or Yeshua, because he will save his people from their sins. So just kind of if you hadn't you know, had a chance to, to read that part of the story lately, it's fairly familiar to, to maybe many of us. But I think if you know, we could have uh, Joseph here right now, I think there's several questions about carrying an unexpected burden that we could ask him. And one of those questions is this, how do you carry well when you risk looking completely stupid or worse? Can you imagine asking Joseph that question? Joseph, how do you carry a burden well when you risk looking completely stupid? I don't know about you, but I want people to think I'm intelligent. I mean, just be like, I want you to like walk out of here and be like, wow, that, hmm, okay, that was, you know, not like, that dude is an idiot, right? <laughs> Why did we go there? You've heard the saying, right? Uh, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice. Shame on me, right? We all, I think, want to live our lives. In fact, somebody quoted, it was Andrew, a man of the word, quoted to me. He's like, ooh, your shirt looks kind of like snakeskin. And I was like, well, hopefully I'm not a snake. And he's like, yeah, but Jesus said be as, what is it, as uh, gentle as a dove, but as wise as serpents. So maybe in some way I do want to be serpent-like. But the whole point being, none of us want to be an idiot. None of us want to be taken advantage of. We all want to be in, in the right way. Would you agree? Wise, discerning, uh, guarded even in some ways as led by the Lord. It's okay to have boundaries. It's okay, right, to, to be discerning, to be wise. Don't walk out of here today thinking, oh, DJ just said, you know, you have to take on every burden that everybody else. No, that's not what I'm saying. And I'm sure Joseph felt the same way. And yet, in this particular situation, I believe he was called to carry a burden that had every chance of making him look incredibly stupid and like he was a fool. Would you agree? So just to, uh, just to explain a little bit of context, uh, in this time period, how things worked was when a uh, young man, or, or, or man of any age, I guess, but uh, hopefully younger, uh, would, would see a young maiden that he uh, wanted to marry, uh, he would decide to betroth her. And how that could look in many cases was he would come up with a list of things that he would want to do for her and offer her, right? If you will say yes to me, I will get you a collection of Russian dolls <laughs> and some stretchy pants. No, if you will say yes to me, I, just, just seeing who my nacho fans are. There. Okay, if you will say yes to me, I will buy you some pots and pans and maybe a goat and maybe even a cow. I will build you a palatial lean-to on the outside of my parents' home in Nazareth. You know, whatever it might be, right? And I will, you know, rub your toes every once a week, you know. But the groom would write down kind of a document of the promises and of the covenant that he was proposing, and then the bride would have a chance, or the, the 
the uh, aspired bride would have a chance to look over those things. Okay, oh, that's, ooh, yeah, pots and pans, ooh, rubbing toes, yeah. She would make a decision, and he would come with a goblet of wine, and if she accepted the marriage proposal, then she would take the goblet of wine and drink, and then they would be betrothed. And then what would happen would be that the groom, or the groom-to-be, I should say, would very excitedly be like, I've got work to do. And he would go put his tool belt on, his hard hat, and he would go prepare a place for the bride. He would go prepare a home where they would then ultimately live together as husband and wife. And obviously, you know, Pastor John would always say that's why the father would be the one that would, would determine when the home was actually built because he would probably try to put three sticks together and be like, it's done! Let's go! Honey, we're camping forever! <laughs> but the father then would, would determine when the home was done. I'm not going to, you could preach a whole another message on John 14. I ain't going to go there. Don't make me. I'm a Pentecostal preacher. I will go there. That's not what I'm, but the point being that this is what, from the point where they did that, they were betrothed, right? And it was considered very serious. It was considered almost like phase one of actually being married, right? And then when the home was built, they would come together. He would come. They would have probably another celebration. And then, of course, fully live together as husband and wife. That is a situation where our story begins, is where they were in that betrothal, very serious, very monogamous, very called to be in covenant one with the other. And she comes and says, hey, I'm expecting. Now, has anybody had a relationship? Have you ever been in a relationship where someone came and told you they were expecting, and it wasn't from you, and they said it wasn't from anybody else, it was from God? Probably not, right? Can you imagine how difficult that would be? But here's the thing. Back then in this story, they never even had a scripture 2,000 years ago they could look at and go, oh, it happened once before. This had never been talked about, never been written in scripture, never even been heard of. And all of a sudden, Mary is coming to Joseph and saying, hey, it's not what you think, but this is from God, but I'm expecting. Can you imagine the utter chaos in his life. Can you imagine what was his family saying to him? I told you she was no good. I told you, son. I told you, don't go to, you know, uh, Hezekiah's bar. You know, that's a bad, you know, you shouldn't meet people that. What were his family telling him? What were his brothers telling him? What were his friends telling him? Get rid of that as soon as you can. Run, don't walk out of this relationship, right? And I'm sure there was so much inside of him that was like, I don't want to be a fool. I don't want to be an idiot. I don't want to be played. And I think he would be able to relate with us when we feel like we're being asked to carry something that's right on that line of like, am I being taken advantage of? Am I being, God, is this really your will for me? I believe that Joseph would say, hey, I understand exactly what you're feeling in that situation. And you know what he did? In the midst of that, I believe that Joseph chose to play or to carry the burden with character. He chose to carry the burden with character. He, he is, here's the deal. He could have exposed her to ridicule at best. If he would have publicly said, hey, this woman that I just asked to marry me and I was over here building a house for, I don't know what she's been up to, but she's expecting, so it's off. At the very least, she would have been shamed and ridiculed and shunned and cast out. We find other scriptures in that time period when people were caught in adultery or other types of fornication, they were even stoned. So there was a lot going on 
in Joseph's mind. And a lot that he felt justified, like, man, I could unleash the wrath in this situation. But you know what it says he did? What does it say there in verse 18 and 19? It says this. Because, in verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and was unwilling to disgrace her publicly, he resolved to divorce her quietly or to send her away quietly. You know what? I believe that Joseph found himself in a place where he didn't have a clear word from God. The angel hadn't spoken to him yet. The angel hadn't revealed himself to him yet. He didn't know if this truly was, if Mary was being truthful or not. He didn't know if this was from God or wasn't. He did not have a word. And I think there's sometimes in our lives where we're being asked to walk through something and we don't have a word from the Lord yet. And we don't know exactly what's going on, what way is up, what we're supposed to do. And you know what he did? I believe that he operated out of character. In the absence of a word from God, all we have to guide us is character. In the absence of a word from God, all we have to guide us is character. In the shadows, in the dark place, when you don't know even yet if this is from God or how exactly God wants you to walk it out, we see the character of Joseph revealed. And it says that he was righteous. That means, broadly speaking, someone whose thoughts and emotions and decisions align with the character of God. God wants all of us to desire, right? All of us are in that place where we want to be growing. Not that we've arrived, but I believe that we're in process. And Joseph was too. But God, for whatever reason, allowed this season of darkness and of not knowing what God was up to, to say, wow, what will you do in the absence of a word from me? And I believe that we see that he chose compassion. And he chose to protect her and to defend her and to send her away quietly. Is there a situation in your life that God is saying, hey, even before I give you the answer or give you answer with the prayer that you're praying, I'm looking to see how you're going to act and are you going to act out of character and out of love and out of a servant's heart and out of compassion. What about this? I think we could ask uh, Joseph, how do you carry well when you're not in the lead role? Joseph, how do you carry well when you're not in the lead role? You know, in that passage, we see a bunch of verses that actually begins with the genealogy of Jesus. And it traces all the way back to Abraham, the, the founder of the Israeli nation and, and the one chosen by God to ultimately, you know, have his seed bless the entire earth, obviously referring to Jesus. It goes through David. There's 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile when they lived in Babylon for 70 years. And then they came back in 14 generations, right, from the exile. To Jesus. But we see here in this verse, you know, in the Bible there's a uh, principle, it's called the principle of first mention. And it's like when someone's name is mentioned first, there's significance to that, right? And here's the interesting thing, that in this passage, I believe we have the first mention of Joseph. And so there's all these names, and I'm not going to read them all, but then it says this. In fact, I'm going to pick it up just one verse before uh, we'll show on the screen. Verse 15, Eliud was the father of Eliezer, Eliezer the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, verse 16, and Jacob the father of Joseph, get this, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. What is Joseph's claim to fame? The husband of Mary. He's with the band. He's, he gets stuck by the bouncers out front, and, and she's like, no, 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 he's with me. Oh, okay, fine, go, go, go. 
Justin, one of our teaching team members, was talking. They've lived internationally in different places. He's in gas and oil. And they've talked about the idea of, in business, the trailing spouse. Has anybody heard of that? So it's when one of the two, one of the, the couple, will have a job in a foreign country or something like that, and the other spouse goes with them. But they don't, they're not the ones having the job. They're not the ones that have the office waiting. They're not the ones that have you know, the limos or the cars waiting and all of the, the staff and all that stuff. They're kind of like, oh, wow, I'm being uprooted and saying goodbye to my neighbors, to my friends, to my Starbucks that knows how I like my you know, decaf uh, grande, you know, three pump, you know, whatever it is. Um, and they're the ones that oftentimes struggle so much, losing their identity, losing their network of relationships, losing their sense of purpose, maybe even at times their sense of value. It can create a very significant emotional or even psychological reality in people all over the world. But do you think Joseph may have struggled with that at some point? He was known as, oh, the, you're the husband of Mary. Mary is going to birth the Christ. The, oh, you're the, but you're not even the, the real dad, right? You're just kind of with them. It's hard, isn't it? For me, I don't know about you, but for me, it's so much easier to sacrifice when I feel like everybody's going to know how much I'm sacrificing. <laughs> like, well, that's why when we go help widows or people in need, I'm always like walking really slow. <laughs> Hoping that like a photographer from the church newsletter, I'm like, yeah, hey, Pastor DJ, helping the widow in need. <laughs> you know, you kind of you know, make it look heavy, right? It's like a box of like cotton balls. I'm like, coming through, coming through. Oh, it's upstairs. Ah, It's a lot easier to sacrifice when we feel like people are seeing us validating us, but what about when you're in the shadows? What about if you're the, the plus one? It's a lot tougher, isn't it? And I believe that we see in the life of Joseph that he was able to carry with humility. He was called to an extremely high profile, high responsibility, hard work role, wasn't he? He was going to guide and lead this woman, her child, according to the kids' movies, a rebellious donkey, all the way, right, from Nazareth, all the way down to Bethlehem. And then, staying in Bethlehem, but then having another dream, and then all the way to Egypt. That could have taken 22 days if they went by land. And then all the way back, and then all the way, oh, I had another dream. Well, it's not Herod, the one that we, but it's a different Herod, so let's all the way, all, all of a sudden protecting, serving, watching over, laying down his life, carrying a burden, but he wasn't even in the lead role. And I believe he's such an example for us when we find ourselves in that situation. Here's what we do know. I love this. When Jesus was fully grown and he was entering his ministry, after his baptism, when the dove came down, landed on him, when he heard the voice from heaven, this is my son whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased, listen to him. And then what was the very next thing that happened? Yep, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for what? To be tempted. To be tempted. And he faced the prince of darkness. Jesus faced the very powers of hell that were resolute on stopping his mission, that were resolute on bringing him down. The very deceiver, the very adversary, Satan, the accuser, 
one-on-one, out in the desert, nobody to support you. And you know what was the first thing that came out of Jesus' mouth when he was in the most dire situation of his life up until that point? What were three words that came out of his mouth with every temptation? It is written. It is written. It is written. You know what? We don't know hardly anything about what Joseph did during those years of raising Jesus. But I can tell you this. When Jesus was entering his ministry and he needed to have God's word stored up in his heart, and the only way he would have victory against the enemy was to know the word of God. Like Psalm 119 says, right? I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When he needed it, it was there. And you might think, well, it's because he was God and God just sort of downloaded a chip, you know, downloaded a version of the ESV and the, you know, Berean and NIV. And he, I don't think that was the case. I think Jesus was ready to fight the enemy and to resist temptation because he had done the work of storing the word of God into his heart. And I bet you that his dad had a part in that. I bet you Joseph in the secret place, reading in bedtime Bible stories, mom or dad, doing the things out of the public eye that nobody praised and that he didn't get any accolades for. But in the place of secret faithfulness, he was doing what the father had had put before him to do and carrying that burden with humility as the second fiddle. But finding ways, hey, okay, Mary's got to do this. But hey, what God, what can I do to serve? Man, if God's put you in a place where you're playing second fiddle, where, where maybe you're in a job and you feel like you're serving someone else's vision of what's happening, or maybe you're in a marriage and right now where you live, you're having to move out of state and leave your home behind or leave your network of friends or maybe even your church or whatever it might be, and you're like, wow, this hurts. Wow, it's not even for me. It's for someone else. And I want you to know God sees where you're at. And God wants to give you the grace to carry that with humility. And he will be honored by that. What about this? How do you carry? Here's another question I think we could ask Joseph. Is this, how do you carry well when the baby isn't yours? How do you carry well when the baby isn't yours? I think we all have an ideal, don't we, of what life should look like? You know, uh, there's even songs about it, right? First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in a baby carriage, right? And then there's the American add-on, and then you have the home with the picket fence, with the dog, and the 1.5 kids, and the, you know, whatever it might be, right? I think we all have an idea of how things should go and how, what's the best setup, for happiness, joy, the love of God, the purposes of God to be fulfilled. But how often do we find ourselves falling short of that or in a situation that's very different? What if the first marriage didn't end up being that for whatever the reason? And we find ourselves in another one. What if, what if our kids aren't talking to us and we don't know where we went wrong? What if we're in a blended family And we find ourselves uncertain of how to even relate with others. What if in friendships, right, people have moved on and we find ourselves with a new circle of friends that we just, we're like, I don't know, this doesn't feel like my baby. 
This doesn't feel like I have authority or I have confidence or I, have, I don't feel qualified. You know what? The enemy loves to come right there in that place. Whenever something isn't the ideal that our logic, that our mind tells us this is the setup for success, happiness, holiness, and pleasing God. It's right here. Oh, you're out here. The enemy will beat us down all day long. Have you experienced that? In any area of your life where the enemy's like, that baby isn't yours, and that baby could be anything. It's not yours. You don't really have genetic authority. You don't really have ownership or, or, or even belonging in that thing. You're over here, out here. There's nothing connecting you to it. And the enemy will lie to you and make you think, unless it's this exact way, I don't know, the best you can hope for, just to kind of get through it, kind of survive. And it kind of feels like, I bet there were times in Joseph's life where he questioned his ability to raise them. It's like, can you imagine the pressure? Like, don't screw this up. You know what I'm saying? Wait, you lost the... You lost Jesus? You lost the Messiah? I thought you had him, you know? When they're little, you know, don't let him catch you, like, smoking some of that wheat out behind the, you know, say, you can mess up the Messiah for life. You know, don't raise your voice to Mary. You know, he might be tempted to, you know, whatever, right? Think about the pressure he felt. But think about the lies. Like, I just don't know. I don't know how to navigate this. I don't feel in the logical earthly sense like, oh yeah, no, of course, he's mine because we got married and now this is a son and yeah, this is my, my place and my role. Have you ever felt out of place? Have you ever felt insecure and uncertain as to God's ability to use you in a situation or to bring about his purposes because it feels broken? Here's what I love. The enemy comes and says, you know what? These, these Legos will never fit together. They can't hold. There's only one little piece that's holding it together and, 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 and there's nothing else you can do about it. You know what? The good news is that our God owns the Lego factory and he can build a Lego piece that fits exactly that broken mess of Legos and go, ha ha, look at this. It ties in here. It ties in, oh, there's Legos upside down. Oh, what did I do there? God can, right? It says in the word, he calls the things that are not as though they were. A baby who is not yours biologically can be more yours because God says he's yours to love and to carry. He can be more yours because the word of the Lord established it than a genetically 100% biological baby ever would. Do you believe that? The word of the Lord, God doesn't sort of go, oh, bummer, well, I guess I'm locked out of the situation. Our God is bigger. Our God is greater. His word carries creative power. When he says, you and you, you're going to be friends and I'm going to bless it. Or you and you, you're, you're father and daughter, I'm going to bless it. Or you and you, you know, here's what I'm declaring over the situation. This job, I'm going to give you what it takes. I've appointed you to it. The word of the Lord carries power. And I believe Joseph came to know and came to carry with faith. Not only did he carry with character, and walk in compassion in the absence of the word of the Lord. Not only, right, did he carry with humility when he wasn't the lead, but I believe he carried with faith. He understood that whatever God says, he has the power 
to bring to reality. He has the power to breathe life into that which in our understanding, oh, you're not even the baby's real dad, but he could walk in the fullness of God's purpose and calling and do exactly what God had created him to do. And he's like, sorry, you know what? I don't have time to listen to these lies because I have to go teach him some more Bible verses. Like the one that says, man shall not eat by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Or the one that says, you shall serve the Lord your God and him only will you worship. A last question that I think we could ask is, Joseph, how did God step in to equip you to carry well? How did God step in to equip you to carry well? And I think Joseph would probably be quick to answer, hey, it wasn't on my timetable. It was God's timetable. Do you think he would have appreciated knowing before she got pregnant, like she did? You know, Gabriel came to her before it happened. It was like, this is going to happen to you. The, the glory of the Lord is going to overshadow you. And you, and then, so he kind of explained everything, laid it all out. I don't know, he was, he was in town. Like he could, literally could have gone over to Joseph. Like Joseph was like two doors down. And Gabriel would have been like, nah. No, I'm just <laughs> For whatever the reason, we don't understand God's timing. But God allowed there to be that gap from the time that she knew what God was doing and the time that he knew. God allowed him to walk through that place. Perhaps for some of the reasons we've seen to see what was in his heart and allow that to come forth. But ultimately, God did answer that. And I think, you know, in our lives, God knows, right? In those moments when we're carrying something and we don't understand, God knows there's pieces of it that can only come to life and strength that can only come when ultimately he intervenes and speaks to the situation. And that's what we see him, right? Are you thankful? That's what we see in this story that he ultimately sent the angel and said, okay, man, you've been faithful but now here is what you need to know to ultimately fulfill and to carry this for my glory. So he came. You know, God spoke to him through his emotions. Any, any fiery people, any Irish people in the room? You know, Irish? Okay, uh, no, Dan's Irish. Duncans, are you Irish? No, you're not. Oh, it's just by name. Scottish, okay. I... Should be Irish if you ask my wife, you know, temper, all that kind of stuff. Here's the thing, guys. We see this passage, and in verse 20, it says, I love this. This is one of those Bible things where it says in verse 20, but after Joseph had pondered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And that word ponder, don't we, did you just get the picture of like a, a placid lake with just some beautiful flowers running? Excuse me, I'm pondering. I'm pondering that, that my fiance is pregnant and, you know, I don't really understand what's going on around here. That's not what the word in Greek means. Do you want to know what the word ponder? Do you want to know what it says Joseph was doing? If you can pull up that definition, look at this. This is that word pondering. I think it's coming. Maybe. Okay, I'll just tell you what it is. Okay. Oh, there it is. Okay, being in a state of to rush along, getting heated up, breathing violently, passion, driven behavior, actions emerging out of strong impulses, intense emotion, and then where that word I can't pronounce says, uh, is used of people that indicates rage or venting of anger. Ooh, how does that change the understanding of Joseph and his little flute? He's like, I can't believe, ah! 
God, what do you expect me to do? Everybody's making fun of me. Everybody thinks I'm an idiot. I don't know. She's saying an angel came. and oh, It's miraculous. Oh, there's a baby. Oh, God did it, you know. But here's the thing. Maybe you find yourself pondering more like this. Have you ever pondered more like this? At the burden that you find yourself asked to carry? And you're like, I don't like it, God. And I'm not okay with it. And I'm venting some anger. And I'm having some driven, intense emotion. I believe that God wants you to know, you know what? He's not afraid of your emotion. You're not going to scare him away. God loves you. Even in the midst of anger, in the midst of, of, of brokenness, in the midst of not understanding and of, and of confusion and of chaos because you don't understand because everything's falling apart and you don't know what's going on. I believe that that was maybe where Joseph found himself and God sent his angel in the midst of that emotion and was able to empower Joseph to carry. What about this? Oh, I love, oh my gosh, okay. Oh my gosh, two minutes, okay, here we go. All right. Uh, I love this. When the angel appeared, it says this. After he pondered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to embrace Mary as a wife. Ooh, see what he just did there? In the genealogies, if you look at, at verse 16, it doesn't list David as his father. It says uh, Jacob, right? Somebody paying attention? Ooh, somebody paying attention to the genealogy? God bless you. Spiritual, there's an anointing over here. Yeah. It says Jacob, the father of Joseph. But what was God doing? Hmm. Hmm? Acknowledging what? Hmm, his character. Acknowledging what? His lineage. Woo, his identity. He's, Jesus is connecting, or the God is connecting the dots of King David to Joseph. And they actually, he actually was in his lineage. But he's saying, you know what? You're getting ready to go through a trial and through an ordeal and through a time that's going to call into question every strength you thought you had, every ounce of wisdom you thought you had, every ounce of courage, every ounce of perseverance. And you need to know, let's skip all the pleasantries and let's skip all the stuff of what you think about yourself. Can we just fast forward to what I think about you? And he said, hey, son of David, I'm calling you a son of the man who was after my own heart. Just like your father David obeyed me, you're going to have the courage to obey me. Just like your father David had the strength to run to the battle with five stones and a sling to the giant that was mocking the armies of the living God and ultimately be victorious, he was saying, Joseph, little man who's playing second fiddle, who's a carpenter out in a remote town in, in, in Nazareth, I see you as the son of David. His blood runs through your veins and you have the power to do everything. Forgive like he who was thrown spears and forgave. You have the power to carry this with my authority and to bring glory to my name. How does God look at you? I believe that God is looking at you in the very same way, just like Pastor Dan said at the beginning that he was feeling during the worship and during the prayer. God's looking at you like, you're my son. You're my daughter. My blood flows through your veins. My spirit is in you. I am giving you the power to carry that which seems impossible to you. Receive encouragement from the Lord. You know, I believe that in doing that, you know, he was being called 
he was being called into the spirit of adoption, right? He was being called to care for a baby that in the strictest of terms wasn't his own as his own, right? God was saying, hey, I have an assignment. It's not going to be easy. And people are going to be like, well, Joseph, you have such dark curly hair and he's more of like a redhead, you know? What, what happened, you know? It's not always going to be easy. But I'm calling you to, to model and to walk in this. But you know what God does before he calls us to give out the spirit of adoption? Hmm. He's saying, come on, in order to be able to walk in this and, and treat my son as your own, I want you to know that I'm connecting you to David through that same spirit of adoption. Say, hey, this is how I see you, and this is whose son I'm declaring you are. And so God is saying, hey, if I've called you to carry a burden that feels unnatural, that feels, oh, it's a stretch, it's difficult, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. I don't get along with that person, or I don't, that's not easy to put up with this situation or this responsibility. God's saying, hey, ask me to open your eyes to my spirit of adoption as I see you as my son, my daughter, and I'm empowering you then to walk that same spirit out and forward. Ultimately, Romans 8.15 says this, and you did not receive a spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned, for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father, beloved Father. Can I give you one more thing that, that, that God did to empower? Right after he told them, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, he told them, hey, this baby's name is gonna be Jesus because he's gonna save his people from their sins. And in that day, if we look at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth that was happening just a couple of months prior Who in the Hebrew tradition had the responsibility and the privilege of naming the child? Typically, it was the father, right, from what we understand. Just like Zechariah was given the name John for John, who would be known as John the Baptist. So I believe that in this situation, after God speaking through his wild and crazy emotions, speaking in his own timing, all that kind of stuff, he he said, hey, there's one more thing, though. Joseph, I do have, hey, I know you're playing, you feel like you're playing, you're with the band, all that kind of stuff, but hey. I'm going to let you name, be the one that publicly speaks my word over my son Jesus, the Savior of the world. And so when the time came, I believe that Joseph was holding that baby and looking at him, and he had an opportunity. God in the flesh, the Savior of all of mankind, the, the one, the center of history when heaven touched earth was right here in his arms. And I think he had an opportunity that God gave him to be the first to say his name is I will save my people from their sins. His name is the Lord saves. And I believe that by even speaking the name of Jesus, is it possible that Joseph was the first one to declare his allegiance and declare his faith in who God said this baby was? 
He was saying, hey, and if not the first, okay, ladies, we'll give you Mary. But the second person, still pretty cool, still top 10 <laughs> to say, God said, hey, publicly, you're going to have, when you're uttering the name Jesus, you're coming into alignment with all the plans of heaven that this is God's redemption, that I believe that this baby is who God says he is. And I'm going to spend my life serving and caring his name. And I believe he did that. You know what happens? I believe in our stories when God's asking us to carry something and it seems impossible and we don't understand it, I think God wants to open our eyes and say, hey, if you'll ask me, I will show you how your response to me in this situation can actually be like Joseph's, can create. You know, when we align with God's purposes and speak the truth of God's word in our situation, we might not be holding a baby in our hands, but, but, but whatever God is asking you to carry, if you're saying, Lord, yes, I will declare your promise. I will declare your truth. I will declare what you say. When you do that and step into that place at your work, in that relationship with your child, in that relationship with your ex, whatever it might be, in that challenge that you're facing, I believe it creates a wake that draws other people to come with me as well. And I believe that if you'll ask the Lord, he wants to show you that tonight. So we know the rest of the story. We're going to close. He had a choice, of course, even after the angel appeared, and he chose to believe, to obey. He wasn't given to see the full fruit of his obedience. We don't know at some point he passed away after the age of 12 in Jesus' life. We don't really hear from him again, and he probably passed away at some point before Jesus began. And sometimes it may be like that with us, right? We may not get a chance to see fully the fruit of our obedience, the fruit of our carry. But I believe that if we could hear him today as he's in that great cloud of witnesses that Hebrews 12 speaks of, that he would say, it's worth it. It's worth it. God is a rewarder. It's worth it. Even though in the natural, I may not have gotten to see the full result of my faithfulness in Jesus' public ministry, but I see it now and it's worth it. And I would go back and do it all over again. So let's close our eyes for a minute. I just want us to have a couple of minutes. And I'm going to ask uh, if you could play a little bit of music, Marcus, as we talked about. And let's just go to the Lord and say, Lord, would you bring clarity? God, would you show me if there's an area in my life right now that's a burden or a responsibility you are asking me to carry? And if so, Lord, how can I carry it with humility? How can I bring your faith into it? How are you asking me to, to walk in out of character when I don't know the specifics? God, ultimately, I need a word from you to give me strength. God, how do you want my heart, my eyes, my ears open to your word, to your presence, to an encounter with you that can give strength and clarity. Let's just take a moment and then I'll close in prayer.
speaking to us, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that ultimately you are the great burden lifter. You're the burden carrier, as we learned about in the Gospel of Mark. You're the one who tells us in 1 Peter 5, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God, we come together and just ask, Lord, in the areas of our lives where there's been doubt and fear, maybe anger, resentment, frustration. God, in those areas that you truly are calling us to carry something with patience and with joy and with faith, Lord, we say yes to you. We say yes to you, Lord. Glorify your name. Glorify your name in how we walk and how we carry. And God, allow our obedience and our dependence on you and our trust in you and your supernatural grace and resurrection power in us, your supernatural ability in our inability, your supernatural strength in our weakness, your supernatural joy in our sorrow and mourning, your supernatural hope in our challenges, God. Let that be what shines through that others might see you and might turn to you and worship you. God, bless your people. Strengthen and encourage. God, let this month as we head into the holidays and all of the things that await, God, let it be a time where we are filled with your spirit We're walking in love with you. We're walking in your power, your love, and in your calling. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.